ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we have just the end of the chapter left, the chapter regarding the types of magic. Uh, the last narration that we did was the narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal Ala hal unabbi'ukum al-adh Hiya al-namima Al-Qila wal-Qala or Al-Qala to Bayna al-Nas Rawahu Muslim But shall I inform you what Al-Adhu is? It is the Namima the carrying of the tales between people to cause corruption and the speech between people So this we mentioned as the last narration we covered that Al-Adhu is a type of magic or it was described as such it was described as such because Namima has the impact of magic magic separates between people causes corruption between people and Namima Likewise, separates between people, causes corruption between people. And that's why Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, had mentioned, لِأَنَّ النَّمِيمَةِ تَعْمَلُ عَمَلَ السِّحْرِ فَتُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ كَمَا يُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَهُمُ السِّحْرِ that tail carrying separates between people just as the magic separates between people. Bal hiya ashad. Rather, it is even more severe. Kama qala ba'aduhum yufsidun nammam fi sa'atin ma yufsiduhu sahiru fi sana. That a tail carrier causes more corruption in an hour than a magician does in a year. فَالنَّمِيمَةُ أَشَدُّ تَأْثِيرًا مِنَ السِّحْرِ So the tail carrying has a greater impact, it is more severe than magic in that regard. لِأَنَّهَا تُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Because it separates between the Muslims. وَالسِّحْرِ إِنَّمَا يُؤَثِّرُ فِي مَنْ وَقَعَ عَلَيْهِ Whereas the magic only impacts upon those specific individuals that it is uh, or it falls upon. And that's why there are many narrations, many ahadith that talk about the dangers of the tongue and the importance of safeguarding the tongue. And you'll remember some of the scholars they mention different points in regards to that some of them have mentioned you have been given two points of safety or two guards over your speech over your tongue before your tongue can come out of your mouth and speak it must get past two levels of security the teeth and the lips. Some of the scholars, they mentioned this, Allah Alam, Shaykh Al-Fawzan himself, or Shaykh Al-Athaymini, one of his books, that there are two levels of protection before your tongue can speak. It has to get past the teeth, and it has to get past the lips. Two levels. It must get past before it can speak. And so the scholars, they say, you've been given those two levels of safety 
those two levels to safeguard your speech, so use them. And that's why in the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiyallahu where he mentioned, أَيَكُبُّ النَّاسُ عَلَى مَنَاخِرِهِمْ That will the people be cast upon uh, either ru'usihim or manakhirihim, that they will be cast into the hellfire because of their tongues, بِمَا يَتَكَلَّمُونَ بِهِ Because in that narration, Mu'adh ibn Jabal had asked the Prophet ﷺ what at the start of it. At the end of the narration, the messenger highlights to him the dangers of the tongue and how the tongue can destroy your actions. But what was the beginning of the narration? That's the end of the narration. When Mu'adh ibn Jabal says, are we going to be held accountable for what we say? Why was that section at the end of that narration? Because to understand the full narration gives you a far better understanding of that ending of the narration. The beginning of it, Mu'adh ibn Jabal had said to the Prophet ﷺ, inform me of the actions to do that will enter me into paradise and keep me safe and away from the hellfire. So the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned to him the five pillars of Islam, had mentioned to him about worshipping Allah alone and not associating partners, had mentioned to him about the establishment of the prayer, had mentioned to him about the fasting, about the zakat, about the hajj, and then on top of that had mentioned to him additional good actions, additional actions that perfect your religion, jihad in the path of Allah, etc. Multiple actions were mentioned to Mu'adh ibn Jabal when he asked the question. In fact, when he asked the question at the beginning, the messenger first said to him that this question regarding what actions can I do to enter paradise and stay away from hellfire, the messenger said, Indeed, you have asked about something great. You have asked about something tremendous. But it is easy for those whom Allah makes it easy for. And then he informed him of all of those good actions that will take you to paradise and distance you from the fire. Then at the end of all of that, he informs Mu'adh ibn Jabal about the danger of the tongue because that is the one thing that can destroy all of your actions with such ease. There is no difficulty in it. It doesn't require a person to go out and do some action. It doesn't require a person to exert any energy. You sit there and you open your mouth and you speak. And that speech could, at the highest level, destroy all of your actions if it is speech of kufr or shirk or mockery of the religion. And at the lower level, even if it does not destroy your religion, that speech could destroy the reward of all of those actions that the messenger had been listing out to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, that would get you to paradise. That you may do all of those actions, but at the end of it, maybe you don't benefit from all of that worship and all of those actions, because you ruined it with your tongue. That was the benefit that the Prophet ﷺ was highlighting to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, that all of these actions, they are your means to paradise. However, be aware, be warned, do not allow them to be wasted and destroyed with your tongue. Hence, the narration was mentioned by a Shaykh al-Fawzan in that explanation regarding the Muflisun, that on the day of judgment a person may have prayed and may have fasted and may have done his actions of worship. But then on that day they are going to be from the Muflisun, the bankrupt ones, because even though he used to worship and he used to pray, شَتَمَ هَذَا وَضَرَبَ هَذَا وَأَخَذَ مَالَ هَذَا 
He used to abuse this one and curse that one and take the wealth of this one. And so all of his good deeds and actions or much of them are ruined and the reward is gone and disappears as a consequence of his tongue. Hence the scholars always talk about the severity and the danger of the tongue. It is from the easiest of the ways for a person to fall into error. From the easiest of the ways, easy meaning it requires no effort. It requires no difficulty, no burden, no exertion of energy. That you backbite a person, that you lie about a person, that you fall into qawlu zur or shahadatu zur falsification of affairs, lying. Those matters, they occur easily. And in fact, as the scholars, they mention, that is one of the greatest avenues for the shaitan to enter upon a person. A person may be pious, mashaAllah, he prays, he fulfills his actions of worship, he's obedient, he implements the sunnah in his appearance. But then, his weakness is that the shaitan easily whispers to him upon his tongue or in regards to his tongue. So he falls into great error with his tongue, speaking against this one or that one, or lying or backbiting on Amima. Hence, when it is mentioned in the chapters of Aqidah, from the specific reasons or causes for the punishment of the grave, what, in fact, before you get to the specific, what is the overall cause for the punishment of the grave? The overall cause is, of course, generally all sins. Generally, all sins are the overall cause, reason, sabab, for the punishment of the grave. But then in the texts, in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah, in the evidences, there are specific sins that are highlighted, especially that this sin, punishment of the grave. This sin, punishment of the grave. Specifically they are highlighted. Even though we know generally all sins can lead to the punishment of the grave, but then these ones to highlight their severity, they are specifically mentioned along with the punishment of the grave. Things like lying, that is one of them mentioned in it. Things like namima, that is one of them mentioned in it. Notice both of those are affairs of ease upon the tongue. The lying, the namima, these are mentioned as specific causes and reasons for the punishment of the grave along with uh, taking interest and various other things that are mentioned for specific causes, even the wearing of the garments below the ankles for the men is mentioned as a specific cause for the punishment of the grave. In a, in a narration it mentions how a man used to wear his garments below his ankles uh, out of pride, and even without pride it is a sin but with pride, and then it mentions in the hadith in Muslim, يُجَرْجَرُ bihi that reverberates, like the ground is like vibrating from his punishment that is occurring to him. That will be, his, he will be in punishment, being punished in the grave up until يَوْمُ qiyama for the sin of wearing his garments below his ankles for the man. Not for the women, for the man. So there are specific causes and namima and lying and these sins of the tongue are mentioned from those specific causes for the punishment of the grave. And so a person needs to be careful with these affairs. As Shaykh Al-Athameen said, there are two diseases in society. Two diseases in society that corrupt and destroy the society. And he's not talking about medical diseases or illnesses. He's talking about something worse than that. The diseases of the heart. One, al-ghiba, backbiting, and one, an-namima. He mentioned it in a khutbah. 
two diseases in society, backbiting the community upon each other, person upon a person, this one upon that one, and namima, the spreading of tales to cause corruption between people. He said these are two diseases within society. A disease, what does it do? It weakens a person. It takes away your strength. And that's what this does. The namima, the backbiting, weakens the society. It takes away the strength of the brotherhood and love. It brings about corruption and harm to the hearts. So here, it's mentioned for that reason. Namima is mentioned in the same chapter as magic. And upon the same, in the same breath as magic. For those reasons. So a person must be very careful with this must be very careful and give extreme importance to these affairs, the affairs of the tongue and what you are saying and what you are doing. And even if others are backbiting and others are causing corruption with Namima, if you are sat there silently not doing anything, the scholars, they say you are at fault. Then make yourself free from that gathering. Then free yourself from the gathering where backbiting is occurring or Namima is being spread. So here the Shaykh says, An-Namima min al-Kaba'ir. It is from the major sins. وَقَدْ بَيَّنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنَّ النَّمِيمَةَ مِنْ أَسْبَابِ عَذَابِ الْقَبَرِ In fact, he mentions it too, that it is from the causes of the punishment of the grave. And he quotes the hadith where the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم مَرَّ بِقَبَرَيْنِ When he walked past the two graves, فَقَالْ إِنَّهُمَا لَيُعَذَّبَانِ وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٍ أَمَا إِنَّهُ كَبِيرٍ The messenger walked past the two graves and he said these two inhabitants of the graves are being punished not for something big as they thought but in reality it is something big that they did. أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمَا فَكَانَ يَمْشِ بِالنَّمِيمَةِ as for one of them, he used to go around tail carrying. And as for the other one, he never used to cleanse himself when urinating the splashes, the impurity would go everywhere. He never purified himself properly. In the other narration, he never used to conceal himself when urinating publicly in the eyes of the people. So this highlights that they were both being punished for those sins, punishment of the grave. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ النَّمِيمَةِ تُسَبِّبُ عَذَابَ الْقَبْرِ And therefore indicates that tail carrying between people causes the punishment of the grave. It is a reason for it. وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ الصَّحِيحِ And in an authentic narration, لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةَ نَمَّامِ a tail carrier will not enter paradise. وفي رواية لا يدخل الجنة قتات سملا. والنمام ليس له حكم الساحر فلا يكفر كما يكفر الساحر. So the namam, the tail carrier, it doesn't mean that he has the same ruling as the magician. The magician has his own ruling. He is a kafir upon his magic. The tail carrier, if he carries tails and causes corruption, hasn't committed kufr, but it is a different ruling of sin. So there is no comparison in their rulings, but the comparison is in the severity of the action and the, the level of uh, evil in that action. Then the final narration, وَلَهُمَا عَنِ ibn Umar رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالْ إِنَّ مِنَ الْبَيَانِ لَسِحْرًا And this is similar to the narration about Namima. That indeed, from certain types of speech is magic. That indeed, certain types of speech is magic. How do they say it there? The eloquent speech has the influence of magic. Here, the hadith is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, where it is mentioned, إِنَّ مِنَ الْبَيَانِ لَسِحْرًا الْبَيَانِ هُوَ الْبَلَاغَةِ وَالْفَصَاحَةِ 
that a person speaks with eloquent and beautified speech. Eloquent. Eloquent speech and beautified speech. لِأَنَّ النَّاسِ يُصْغُونَ إِلَى الْمُتَكَلِّمِ إِذَا كَانَ فَصِيحًا فِي كَلَامِهِ Because people will listen to someone if somebody is clear and precise and eloquent in his speech. People will listen to that person. وَبَلِيغًا فِي مَنْطِقِهِ And he is eloquent in his, his style of speech and how he presents things بخلاف ما إذا كان ثرثارا contrary to the one who as you may say babbles or other words for babbles on somebody who uh, gibberish the one who speaks gibberish who babbles he's here and there and everywhere and not really making sense what he's saying and there's no eloquence in his speech, and it's all just here and there, left and right, nothing flowing, nothing intelligent, just babbling on. That type of person people will not pay attention to. That type of person is normally the type of person people say, just let him carry on. Let him carry on, he's like that. He, he, he's always constantly doing that. And some people it can be an illness. It can be, sometimes it can be an illness for someone that they don't recognize their mental faculties due to that. There could be some problem. I remember one time I was in Al-Masjid al-Nabawi in the, when I was in Medina in those days. Sitting there, minding my own business, just sitting there doing my work. In Al-Masjid al-Nabawi one day I had my book just sitting there completely minding my own business. Not looking around anything, looking in my book. There was a man sat just maybe two meters ahead of me there. Out of the blue, he says to me, Anta Jasus, you're a spy. You're a spy who's been sent here from whichever country and this and that and everything else. And I, I was taken aback. I started speaking, what are you talking about, spy? What's going on? Then somebody said to me, he, he doesn't understand there's something not quite right. He's, he's slightly ill. He says this to everybody. He goes around saying to everybody, you're a spy and you're this and you're that. Something not quite right. May Allah cure him. But this is how it is. So sometimes it could be that there is some deficiency. But other times, a person perhaps, not to the level of a deficiency, an actual medical problem, but you're getting close. That a person just, it's ajib. The things that may exit from a person's mouth, and you think, how does this person not stop to think for a minute what he's saying and what he's doing? So, it mentions here that sometimes uh, the one who is eloquent, he will be listened to and you pay attention to him. But the one who just babbles on all the time with speech that doesn't make any sense and statements that don't make any sense, that type of person people will not give attention to and will not give any type of respect to his speech or consider his speech in any good light. فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يُصْغُونَ إِلَىٰ كَلَامِهِ So then they would not listen to that type of person's speech. It's like uh, sometimes the scholars, they say, سُقُوطُهُ سُقُوطُهُ يُغْنِي عَنْ إِسْقَاطِهِ You hear this phrase from the scholars sometimes that you have people who attack Ahl-Sunnah, or somebody speaks with some evil speech against one of the scholars, or, or from amongst the, the, the known scholars and people of knowledge, somebody says something against them or does something. Sometimes the scholars, they say, there's no need to refute that person. The fact that his statements are so unbelievable or, or are so off-radar that there's no reason to even bother to refute them. His statements are so refuted in and of themselves, there is no need to refute them. When somebody comes and makes wild claims against one of the scholars, for example, 
wild claims that this scholar is this and he's that and he's this. Sometimes the scholars, they say the speech is so wild, it is so off limits, it is so unbelievable with no basis, it is already in and of itself refuted and rebuked. There's no need to actually refute it. It is already fallen speech. There is no need to fell it. So here it mentions that some people with their eloquence, they are the ones who attention will be given to. Uh, as for the ones who are not, then people will not pay attention to them. They will consider that as a as a a time waste, a burden to have to keep listening to him. And they get bored of hearing the same thing from him, hearing whatever he's got to say. So a person who has eloquence in speech is able to present things in a clear manner is able to explain things, is eloquent, has good speech, has good ability, and uses that to clarify the religion and to clarify the truth and to warn against falsehood, then he is rewarded for that. And one of the best examples of that in our time, you'll hear multiple scholars saying it was a shaykh. Al-Uthaymin. Many of the scholars, they say about him, listen to him or read his books now. You see the way that he clarifies and explains things. You could be looking at the same hadith from the explanation of another scholar, maybe another two scholars. And you read the explanations from those two or three scholars and you don't quite get it. Then you come and read the explanation of that hadith from al-Shaykh al-Uthaymin. All of a sudden it makes sense. Because of the style and ability he had to explain things. And in multiple fields, the manner he could simplify something, taqribul ilm as they say, make things easy and simplify it for people to understand. It's well known of him. And multiple scholars, you'll hear them saying it all the time. Shaykh al-Ithameen, his ability that Allah blessed him with, to make that knowledge accessible and easy and understandable to the masses, despite the fact that still his books and his knowledge and his cassettes and his teachings, they are actually still at a certain level where it does require the Talib al-Ilm to have some background to be at that level. But at that level then, which was basically the student of knowledge level, he never wrote his books he was teaching classes, all of them are transcribed. And he was delivering those classes to the students sat in front of him. Hence, there are so many additional benefits he always brings in. Benefits on, uh, 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 on uh, balagha, on eloquence of Arabic language, benefits on tafsir, benefits on this on that. Because he was there delivering the class to his students. So often he would bring in multiple different benefits. It's like a Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He mentioned in one of his books at the beginning, I forgot which one, in the introduction, he said, My students once said to me, to Sheikh Muhammad Al Amin Al Shantiti, he was well known, one of the senior scholars, sharp and intelligent, that some of the students they said to him, Sheikh, the way you explain things and the way you talk, it's difficult. We're not we can't really we can't keep up. It's a bit much. It's a bit much. Can you just tone it down slightly for us? And he says in the introduction, along these lines, I read this a long time ago, along the lines he said, I'm going to stay at my level of how I teach. Because I would rather that at least one student from all of the gathering, and his gatherings were hundreds, that at least one student from all of the gathering understands everything I say is better, more beloved to me, than toning it down and therefore leaving out certain benefits so that the masses can then understand those toned down benefits and missing some of the more difficult benefits. He said, I prefer the first. 
because he said because when I die then at least alhamdulillah I will have passed on whatever I have at least one person has got everything that I could pass on then he can teach and he can water down and tone down on whatever but if I tone it down now and I don't pass on those other points of benefit and knowledge and I die then that's gone with me and I haven't been able to pass that on so there are different levels but they used to say about the Shaykh Al-Ithameen that his style was of that clear eloquent method a method where he could explain things and you understand whereas somebody may not be able to explain properly that's why they say seeking knowledge and having knowledge is one thing being able to convey that knowledge and give it out to other people is a completely different thing. A person may have a lot of knowledge, but he is unable, incapable of being able to convey that knowledge to others. When he tries to explain to others, they don't understand what he's talking about. He knows, he has that knowledge, but he doesn't know how to properly explain to others. So this is a gift from Allah that the scholars they mention, especially regarding as Shaykh Al-Ithameen in our time. So the one who uses that to his benefit, or to the benefit of the religion, to teach and to explain and to warn against falsehood, then that person is rewarded. in This is the point. As for if someone uses that eloquence, and that ability in speech, in opposite effect to that, so he doesn't use that eloquence and good speech and ability he has to defend the religion, but instead he uses it to aid falsehood. He uses it to aid falsehood, and to propagate falsehood, and to destroy the truth, then that person is a sinner and he is uh, uh, dispraiseworthy for his action of using his eloquence and ability to create or, or to, uh, 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 to defend falsehood and to warn against or to belittle the truth. وَإِنَّمَا ذَمَّ الْبَيَانَ الَّذِي يَقْلِبُ الْحَقِّ بَاطِلًا أو يَقْلِبُ الْحَقَّ بَاطِلًا وَالْبَاطِلَ حَقًّا So the Prophet ﷺ did not criticize speech in the absolute sense, just all speech of eloquence. Rather, he criticized those who use that speech of eloquence to twist the truth into falsehood. فَإِنَّ الْبَلِيغَ الْفَصِيحِ يَسْتَطِيعُ بِأُسْلُوبِهِ أَنْ يُزَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ الْبَاطِلِ Because the one who is eloquent in his speech, is beautiful in his speech, the way he presents things, the way he writes, the way he speaks, he can use that skill to beautify falsehood to the people. He could use that skill in haram, in beautifying falsehood to the people. وَأَنْ يُزَوِّرَهُ بِكَلَامِهِ حَتَّى يَظُنُّهُ صَحِيحًا And he may then falsify, he may then uh, uh, create an illusion of something being the truth when it is actually false through the beautification and eloquence of his speech. وَيَسْتَطِيعُ أَنْ يُؤَثِّرَ عَلَى الْحَقِّ حَتَّى يُخَيَّلْ إِلَى النَّاسِ يُخَيَّلَ إِلَى النَّاسِ أَنَّهُ بَاطِلٌ And he is able to impact upon the truth in a way with his speech and statements that makes it look like to the people that this truth is actually falsehood. And this is something which is witnessed and known and seen from many of these YouTube personalities and celebrities these days, some of them may have an ability to hold an audience. They may have an ability to come out and basically entertain the entertainment da'wah. They have an ability to encapsulate an audience. 
to keep the attention and grip that audience and have their minds and focus and then present to them and convey to them as they wish, perhaps with their joking and their laughter and all of the things that they do now, these celebrity da'is from the Hizbis and from Al-Maghrib and all those institutes, some of them may have some ability to grab the attention of the audience and a commoner may say, but he's so good to listen to, he explains everything and it's, it's light-hearted and it's easy. And you guys, you sit there and you're going through hadith and you're going through statements of scholars and you think you're the salaf, mashallah. The common people, they say things like this. And so those individuals use that to their advantage. They beautify and make it eloquent and make it entertainment. Da'wa, entertainment in the guise of da'wa. And that is incorrect. And this is dispraiseworthy. Falwajib. And that is not to say that a person upon the haq does not attempt to deliver in a way that will be beneficial for the people. It doesn't mean that a person upon the truth has to come and think that he is Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah or think that he is Umar ibn al-Khattab, known for their personalities, that he's going to come, never smile, never barely look at anyone, come and deliver the class and then walk out again. Have no interaction, have no uh, uh, goodness with the people, have no, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the jovial type of nature occasionally, as the scholars they used to do. The scholars, it's mentioned, they would be serious, of course, and they would teach, but there would be occasion when they would joke with their students, have some light-hearted comment occasionally. There is nothing wrong with that. They mention about a Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala. On one occasion, he said to one of his students, how many wives do you have? The student said, only one sheikh. I've only married one. But then the student realized, you know, because there is an opinion, there is an opinion in the books of tafsir of the scholars, that the default, the default is to have one or more than one wife. More than one wife. Some of the opinions of the scholars, they say that the default, the default is to have more than one wife. Miskeen, opposite, outside of the default, you have one. And that's because in the Quran it says, مَثْنَا وَثُلَاثَ وَرُبَعَ Two or three or four. Two or three or four. Then at the end, if you can't do justice, one. That's outside the default. The default, two, three, four. So the student realized, and he, he quickly said to the sheikh, But sheikh, I, as a joke, I am upon tawheed in marriage. Tawheed linguistically in Arabic means one and unique and single. He said, Sheikh, Ana min al of his zawaj. I am upon tawheed in marriage, Sheikh. So then the Sheikh, who was smarter than the student, said, Hada tawheed al khaifin. This is the tawheed of the ones who are scared. You're scared of your wife, and that's why you're not marrying another one. That's the tawheed of the scared people. The tawheed of the fearful ones. There's another one on one occasion where um, I think it was a Sheikh al Uthaymeen. Maybe between Sheikh bin Baz and a Sheikh al Uthaymeen. And I forgot which way around. But at one time, at one time, one of the two of them only had one wife. At that particular time in their life, only had one wife. I forgot which way around now, but the other one said to him, and I think this was between Sheikh bin Baz and Sheikh al Uthaymeen, the one who only had one wife at that time, and the other one had more than one, the one who had more than one, and I think it was Sheikh bin Baz, who said to Sheikh al Uthaymeen, so you only have one wife, which means when she's on her period, you're on your period. <laughs> Meaning, that when she's on her period, then no intimacy is allowed. Or, yani, the intercourse is not allowed. When she's on the period, the intercourse is not allowed. So when she's on her period, 
it's as you might as well be on your period. Because if you've only got one wife, there is no other means of intercourse. So when she's on her period, you're on your period. Light-hearted comments that they used to occasionally make. But the point is, a person of truth calling to the sunnah, it doesn't mean that you have to have only a, a very rigid character. A rigid character. And say that, but if I'm not rigid, then I'm going to be like them. No. They are using it to an exaggerated level, entertainment. We do not go into entertainment. The classes are not entertainment. The classes are to learn your religion. What will enable you, inshallah ta'ala, all of us to enter paradise and to save us from the hellfire. So there has to be a level of seriousness with knowledge. Knowledge is not joking around and laughing around all the time. There is nothing wrong with some lightheartedness and joking, but there is seriousness in knowledge. So then the Shaykh says, أَوْ يَسْتَعْمِلُهُ فِي تَزْيِئَ نَعْمْ أَمَّا أَنْ يَسْتَعْمِلَهُ بِضِدِّ ذَلِكَ بِأَنْ يَسْتَعْمِلَهُ بِالْكَلَامِ فِي أَعْرَاضِ الْعُلَمَاءَ الرَّبَّانِيِّينَ وَتَبْدِيعِهِمْ وَتَجْهِيلِهِمْ فَهَذَا مِنَ السِّحْرِ So if a person uses his eloquence and his beauty in speech in order to take the honor of the scholars and to declare them as mubtadi'a or as innovators, or to declare them as ignorant, uses the beauty in his speech to confuse the people into thinking the scholars are ignorant, the scholars are mubtadi'a, to take the honor of the scholars with his beautified and eloquent speech, then that is from the magic that is being spoken about. That speech, an eloquent speech, is a type of magic because magic influences the mind of a person, it can affect your mind, and this beautified and eloquent speech takes a hold of your mind also and impacts and influences upon you into thinking something is true and it is false. أَوْ يَسْتَعْمِلُهُ فِي تَزْيِينِ الشِّرْكِ وَعِبَادَةِ الْقُبُورِ Or he may use that speech to beautify shirk and to beautify the worship of the graves. When you listen to some of the innovators, some of them are from the category who are just babbling, but some of them may be educated individuals in terms of academic ability. Some of them may have PhDs. Some of them may have high levels of academic and intellect. So when they speak, they sound smart. And they are calling to grave worship. And they are calling to other forms of shirk. But because they sound smart, and they talk in a beautified manner, with a beautified uh, a speech, and a beautified way, and the words and everything, you now think he's a smart, intelligent person. And maybe they quote and bring together statements. So in that way, they confuse the people and beautify that which is false into thinking it is true. وَمَا ظَلَّ كَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ إِلَّا بِسَبَبِ الدُّعَاتِ الْبُلَغَاءِ الْمُنْحَرِفِينَ إِمَّا فِي الْإِذَاعَاتِ وَإِمَّا فِي الصُّحُفِ وَإِمَّا فَوْقَ الْمَنَابِرِ وَإِمَّا فِي مُدَرَّجَاتِ الْجَامِعَاتِ إِذَا تَكَلَّمُوا اسْتَعْمَلُوا الْحَاضِرِينَ اسْتَمَالُوا الْحَاضِرِينَ وَمَلَأُوا أَدْمِغَاتَهُمْ بِكَلَامٍ مُزَوَّرٍ حَتَّى يَخْرُجُوا وَهُمْ يُبْغِضُونَ الْحَقَّ وَيُحِبُّونَ الْبَاطِلَ وَالْعِيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ فَهَذَا خَطْرٌ عَظِيمٌ Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, Many of the people have not gone astray except because of these eloquent du'at. Du'at meaning they consider themselves to be callers. And they are mubtadi'a, they are innovators, they are away from the truth. But because of their eloquence in how they speak and their intelligence and their smartness, the way they present themselves and carry themselves on the radio stations or in the newspapers when they write their articles, etc. Or when they give the khutbas on the mimbar, or when they are on the lectern in the universities giving their lectures. Then because of their style of speech, they convince the listeners to be attracted to them, to their speech and their position. And they fill the heads of those listeners with falsified speech up until those people exit after listening 
They hate the truth and they love falsehood as a consequence of how he has twisted this upon them. That's why it is so important for a person to be so careful in regards to where you take knowledge from and who you listen to. As Ibn Sirin said, Indeed, this religion or this knowledge, this knowledge is religion. So look carefully to where you take your religion from. Do not be beguiled by anybody coming along, putting himself up on the mimbar, or putting himself up on YouTube, putting himself up onto the lecture theaters, and speaking with eloquence, and he is not upon the methodology of Ahl Sunnah, he is not upon the methodology of the Salaf, not upon the methodology of the scholars. Be very careful. So often the people, they say, but this person, he speaks so good, and I've learned so much from him. Can I not just this, and can I not just that? And that person, when you find out who gave me his name, he is from the worst of the individuals calling against the methodology of Ahl Sunnah. So a person must be very careful as to where you take knowledge from and who you listen to. And of course, we know who that is. The scholars of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the ulama, the warathatul anbiya, the inheritors of the prophets, that the prophets and messengers. Al-Anbiya lam yuwarrithu dinaran wala dirhama innama warrathu al-ilm The Prophets did not bequeath, they didn't leave behind as inheritance any money. The Prophets, they left behind knowledge. So whoever takes that, فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ أَخَذَ حَظًّا وَاثِرًا Whoever takes that knowledge, then you've taken a good amount. That is what you need to take from the, the uh, Prophets and Messengers, what they left behind, the knowledge. And who has taken that knowledge the prophets and messengers left behind? The warathatul anbiya, the inheritors of the prophets, which is the scholars, the ulama of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. That is who you return back to, the scholars, to return to them, to seek knowledge from them. Just today in one of the other classes we were saying, if you read the books of a Shaykh al-Fawzan, how many times you're going to come across him highlighting the same benefit every opportunity there is. What same benefit is he always highlighting? You'll notice it when you read all of his books. Everywhere. هذا الحديث يدل على ومن فوائدي هذا الحديث Everywhere. This hadith gives you the benefit of or the benefit that can be taken here, the benefit, the benefit, and it's always the same benefit everywhere. Everywhere you find it, wherever there's an opportunity, wherever a hadith indicates it, he mentions that again and again. The importance of returning to the scholars, to Ahl Sunnah, to ask about your religion, and that is taken from the methodology of the companions. The methodology of the companions was to return to the Prophet to ask about the affairs of their religion when they needed to know about an affair. The first hadith in Bulugh al-Mara about the sailors. There used to be some sailors and they would go out on their ships and they came to ask the Prophet ﷺ if it's permissible to make wudu with the seawater. Why would you ask if it's permissible to make wudu with the seawater? Water is water. And the seawater, it comes from the natural rainwater as well and everything. Why would you ask about that? The scholars, they say, look at the level of precision the companions are at. This is water, seawater, water, what's the problem? But because of one tiny difference or one difference between that seawater and the fresh water, which is that the seawater is salt water, for that one reason they came to the messenger to ask him first. Is it okay? Is it permissible to do that? They would come back and the Shaykh says, look at this. Return to the people of knowledge to ask about your, uh, your religion. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, when he used to have an excess of uh, pre-seminal fluid that used to exit from him. He used to have an excess of pre-seminal fluid, not the semen, that used to exit from him. And so he went, or he sent someone, 
to the Prophet وسلم, to ask about that. And the scholars, they say that was because perhaps of the shyness to ask himself, but he sent someone to find out. Shyness does not prevent you from learning. He sent someone to find out. Again, Sheikh Al-Fawzan said, one of the benefits, return to the people of knowledge and ask when you don't know. When it's mentioned about... Uh, is it Amr ibn Atiyah? I forgot the exact name. When one of the companions, when he grew up, he got married, and an elderly woman, an elderly woman came to him and said, when you were a baby... And this elderly woman wasn't his mother, his auntie, nothing, just a woman, a wet nurse. She said, when you were a baby, I used to breastfeed you. I was your wet nurse. And the woman you've married, when she was a baby, I used to breastfeed her. Now we know Islamically, then it's impermissible to marry that woman. So now, obviously, he didn't know. He didn't know that. He didn't know that this woman he married, both of them when they were children had been breastfed by this same witness. It's mentioned in that narration, as soon as this woman told him, instantly he got on his horse, he was in Mecca at the time, got on his horse instantly or his riding animal and rode immediately to Medina to the Prophet Immediately just went to find out what's going on, my marriage, is it valid, is it not? immediately returned back to the Prophet ﷺ to find out. As soon as he got there, he asked the messenger the question, and the Prophet ﷺ said to him, كَيْفَ وَقَدْ قِيلَ Basically that, what, like, what can be said now? What can be said? And the ruling is already established. The ruling is established. There's nothing else to be said about this now. So that this marriage was not permissible to continue. But the point in all of those is returning back to the people of knowledge, returning back to the scholars, returning back to the students of knowledge. That is where the knowledge is taken from. It is not taken from random YouTube personalities and random YouTube clips and any random individual who is not upon the methodology of the scholars at all. So what do we benefit here then? In summary, the Sheikh says... أولا في حديث قبيصة رضي الله عنه أن العياف والطرق والطيرة من الجبت والجبت هو السحر وكما سبق أن الجبت كلمة عامة تشمل السحر وتشمل الكهانة وتشمل العياف وتشمل الخط يخط, يخط في الأرض يعني تشمل كل ما فيه الدعاء لعلم الغيب So we learn that any type of claim to the knowledge of the unseen. Any of the forms where they claim knowledge of the unseen is from the forms of magic, it is haram. Whether it is reading your palm, whether it is through the tarot cards, whether it is through the crystal ball, whether it is through the star signs, all of those forms of claiming knowledge of the unseen are from the forms of magic and impermissible. Secondly, we learned regarding the knowledge of uh, or, uh, types of astrology where they believe that the stars are responsible for events that occur upon the earth. That is impermissible, it is incorrect. And therefore star signs come into that, impermissible to read. Even if a person says, just for fun, let me, let me see what they say about me. Haram. Impermissible to read it even like that. Uh, and then also we learned about the knots that the magicians tie في حديث أبي هريرة أن عقد الخيوط والنفث فيها بقصد التأثير والإضرار بالناس أن هذا سحر <coughs> tying the knots and then blowing into them with the intent of harming someone then that is from the forms of magic ومن سحر ومن سحر فقد أشرك so whomsoever commits that type of magic he has committed shirk رابعا also Whomsoever depends on magicians and fortune tellers and soothsayers and their likes, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves, abandons that person to them. And they will not be able to do anything for him. In fact, on Yawmul Qiyamah, they will declare their innocence themselves, trying to save themselves. 
And fifthly, the impermissibility of namima and spreading tales and stories about the people to cause corruption. That is from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. And the sixth thing that we just learned right now in the hadith of Ibn Umar, تَحْرِيمُ الْبَلَاغَةِ الَّتِي تُسْتَخْدَمْ لِنَصْرِ الْبَاطِلِ وَالدَّعْوَ إِلَيْهِ وَتَنْفِيرُ مِنَ الْحَقِّ وَتَشْوِيهِ الْحَقِّ وَأَنَّ هَذَا نَوْعٍ مِنَ نُوَعِ السِّحْرِ That using eloquence and beautification of speech to uh, uh, beautify falsehood and make the truth appear as though it is false, to do that is a type from the types of magic. It is uh, uh, put in the same breath as it, as the namima was, due to the impact it has and the effect it has. That brings us to the end of chapter 35. Uh, according to this version, it depends on your introduction whether that is counted as a chapter or not. Uh, and so the next chapter will start next time, which is in two weeks' time. The last Saturday of the month, the class isn't on. So in two weeks' time, the next one now. And that will be Babu Majaa Fil Kuhan Wanahwihim. The chapter regarding what is mentioned about Al Kuhan, those who have or claim, those who claim to have knowledge of the unseen. Those who claim to have knowledge of the unseen, the fortune tellers and their likes, what is said about them. So these chapters coming up now, they are going to mention in specific about the crystal ball and about the tarot cards and about the palm reading and all of these things, haram and impermissible and forms of magic. They are going to come up. There's two or three chapters yet, all of them detailing different things about magic. So we'll stop on that for today. Then prayer is almost here. Any questions or anything to add? Mm. Uh, Muslims who celebrate Independence Day of their country claiming it's from the Ayadat what applies for Christians? Muslims celebrating the Independence Day of their country and they say this is from the Ayadat it is just a cultural thing and it is nothing to do with religion but the issue is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us certain days of celebration for a start Independence Days of your countries is not one of them and on top of that, there is a blameworthiness in it in terms of excessiveness and exaggeration in nationalism. And uh, 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 Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu So celebrating the Independence Day is not an Islamic action. It is, uh, 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 there's an exaggeration and an excessiveness in terms of nationality and national pride to your race, 
and Islam does not recognize that type of affair, differences and superiorities or inferiorities between races and, and uh, uh, nationalities. And in fact, the Sheikh bin Baz doesn't even accept that this is a cultural thing. He says it's a bid'ah. Because people are doing that, especially in the Muslim countries, independence typically from the kuffar. So it is as though they are aligning it to a religious event. That this is a, the, the religious freedom of Islam. And, but then it's become a patriotic, nationalistic thing rather than the kalimat al-tawheed was declared free in this land on that day. It's become more of a nationalistic, nationalistic thing. So it is not permissible. Sheikh Bin Baz even says it's a bid'ah. Anything else? Yes, sir. Wahan, Wahan, Kalimat Wahan. Al Qadim, inshaAllah. Permissible. You can give a charity on behalf of the deceased. Uh, the amal, as they say, giving your, uh, doing righteous deeds and uh, p- giving the reward to somebody else for it. Charity is one of them which is definitely allowed. You can give charity on behalf of the deceased, that's permissible. Anybody else? But what do they mean by that? The soul knows that they are going to die. At the final moment, <coughs> at the final moment, then you see the angel of death. Be- beyond that, there's Allah and what else they mean by that. Alright, we'll stop on that then. It's time for the prayer. Inshallah, in two weeks' time, we'll continue with the next section on the Quran.